Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, we're talking about tiny troublemakers spotting childhood mental illness. You know, here we are in the day and age when uh, your friendly local uh, transvestite, LBTQ, Black Lives Matter people have all taken over our school boards to indoctrinate our children. And so childhood mental illness is really hard to differentiate, especially if you've got your kid in a public school because these folks are running your boards. And so they're not going to listen to anybody of rationality. They're going to listen to their agenda. And that's the day and age we're in. And unfortunately, school systems now want to teach values that parents are supposed to be teaching, they'd rather teach that so they can change our children into what they want. Unfortunately, we as people are not being able to decipher what is going on with our kids, why gender identity is a big deal, and why child, how to identify what real childhood mental and developmental disorders is. So here in this show, and outside of that obvious agenda that's out there, that is masking over a lot of mental disorders that are going on with kids, I'm going to focus on the mental disorders. That is the more important thing. Now, you know, there is neurodevelopmental, emotional, behavioral disorders that have a real broad and serious adverse effects on psychological and social well-being of children. And children with disorders require a lot of support from families. And unfortunately, our sad educational system is not equipped to do that. Yes, they may raise a flag every once in a while. Maybe if you're in a small town or a reasonably conservative town where people have actual values and the school system does reflect the community, you might have something uh, there where the, the educational help can be, but don't depend on it. You, you probably need to get some outside help in this regard professionally. You know, disorders frequently persist in, in, in adult Uh, in adulthood. However, children are more likely to experience a compromised developmental trajectory with increased need for medical and disability services. Now, the beginning is look back at your family tree and see what runs in your family tree. Is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it panic attacks? Is it bipolar? Schizophrenia? What's going on out there? Do I have obsessive compulsive disorder? These have genetic components to them. And these genetics of the components get exacerbated by the life a child lives and the level of abuse and neglect that is tolerated in their home that will shape them and groom them into the adult they will be. You know, there are big disorders out there for children to look out for. Number one is childhood anxiety disorders. Number two is ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Conduct disorder, which is very similar to what would be called an antisocial personality. So conduct disorder is going to be out there killing animals, destroying property, stealing things, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, but they're doing it in their young childhood life up to 18. So conduct disorder goes up to 18. Uh, By the way, the one that leads up to conduct disorder is oppositional defiance disorder. Also, there's autism, and that's a spectrum. So people are all kinds of ingredients of autism. Autism will have itself to be, and I'll talk about it later, but it's, it's a really 
uh, an impairment in their emotional context of their ability to take things in and deliver things verbally, mentally, and intellectually. Also, there's an intellectual disabilities that are out there, and there's all kinds. There's mathematic disabilities. There's dyslexic disabilities, meaning that they they have they read words backwards. There's all kinds of disabilities as far as how children's brain is taking in information. Now, what are anxiety disorders? Because that's one of the big five, and that's the big one. So what is anxiety? Anxiety is fear. It's fear. And it's characterized by excessive and inappropriate fear. And it's associated to disturbances that impair functioning. So if you have this controlling, overbearing parent who's always catastrophizing every single thing, oh, your father's probably having an affair, or oh, all your friends are going to hurt you, or oh, this is going to be a terrible vacation, oh, you can't spend the night over at this person's house because I don't know their parents, and you know, which is actually a good thing to some degree, but you know, these overbearing hover parents that come from the latchkey, they're actually not from the latchkey generation, they're from the generation after the latchkeys, where they were hover parented, so now they think hover parenting is the right way to hover. You hover over your children to the point that they're going to live in your house till you're 30 years old. A lot of people love to do that. And guess what they're going to do is pay for it as they get older and probably have to work until they croak um, while their 30-year-old sits, watches video games in, in their bedroom. So ADHD persists into adulthood, and, 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 and that is another one. Now, what is ADHD? It's very simple. Genome Project broke this all down. So 30% of our population genetically, we have 32 common genes. One is what's called a hunter-gatherer gene for our species to survive. It's been around tens of thousands of years. What does it do? Well, that gene says 30% are hunters, 70% are gatherers. So who are the hunters? ADHD people. Now, if you're going to stick a hunter in the middle of a classroom and try to make them a gatherer, guess what's going to happen? They can't focus because as a hunter, their sensory perception is five times greater than the gatherer. That means they're hearing, they're feeling, they're smelling, they're sensing. All of that is hypersensitive. Then you stick the kid in the front row because they can't behave and they're the class clown because they do that to control the herd because they want to know where everybody is because they're so insecure because they're hunters. They're not supposed to be hunted. So you stick them in the front of class. Now the pack is behind them. They're going to feel hunted. And they're not going to be able to concentrate, but that's what these idiot teachers and parents love to do is stick them in the front row and think, oh, that's cool. No, they need to watch the herd. If you want their brain to calm down, they need to be somewhere in the vicinity, in the corner where nobody is actually behind them so they can watch the herd. If you go to a restaurant, they need to be in a booth not in the middle of the room, unless you want them to disrupt the whole room, because that's what an ADHD person is going to do. Now, when is this gene pervasive? 9 to 15. That's when it's pervasive. So that means that they're in the heavy hunting phase, because we only lived to be about 30 to 35, maybe 40, uh, you know, when this gene came about. And so bottom line is their prime of hunting is when they're younger so they can catch the rabbit in the fast running uh, uh, species that are out there to hunt. So these people are what are called linear thinkers. They think in lines. So if you stick them on a swim team or if you put them in a sport where they can win individually, not with a team, or if they could be the captain of the team, that's where an ADHD person is going to excel. If you stick them on a soccer team and they have to multi-focus on 
who's got the ball and who's fair to score and who's in the right. They're not going to, they can't do that. They got to do lines. So everything is in a line for them. And that, that means video games are like crack because they're linear and they're hunting. So video games for ADHD kids is crack. And so you as a parent have an instant commodity to use to curb and teach their behavior. They also respond to structure since they don't know how to be a gatherer. You have to give them structure so they understand what they're supposed to be doing from one moment to the next because they don't know how to do it. They're so Their sensory perception is like, I smell cake. I'm going to go get cake. I see uh, the rabbit running. I'm going to go after the rabbit. Oh, there's a deer. I'm going to go after that. Oh, I, I sense something's behind me. Now they're going to focus on that. Oh, I hear something in the distance. They're going to focus on that. That's how their brain is operating so that they can hunt. But we don't hunt anymore. So these poor kids are being diagnosed and medicated because they're hunters. And they live in a society that doesn't hunt. And so now we have to look at them as a bunch of idiots when they're actually the smartest people in the world. And by the time they're 30, they finally get it right after they've made 5,000 errors and have no self-esteem left because they violated every relationship that they ever had. They lied about everything because they couldn't control their impulses and they have to live with low self-esteem and depression based on the track record. But by the time they're 30, they actually come into their own and are some of the smartest people in the world because they no longer have to hunt because they're too old. And so this gene is tricky. It requires parenting. And God forbid, if you don't like parenting, you're not going to do well with an ADHD kid. If you're one of these crazy people that think randomly and have to do the emotional thing and want to do the huggy, lovey thing, you're not going to be the good parent for an ADHD kid. They need rules and structure. I'm not talking authoritarian. I'm talking about choices so that they can make choices and deal with it based on consequences. So it's called behavior modification. And so what does that look like? Good old B.F. Skinner. If I give a rat a piece of cheese, they pull a lever, get a cheese, pull a lever again, I get a big cheese, pull a lever again, I get a big cheese. I'm probably going to get full and that's not going to teach me anything except for I get a, a piece of cheese every time I pull the lever. That's what most parents do. They give you the cheese every time you pull the lever, depending on how uncomfortable you make the parent. Now, intermittent uh, uh, stimulation is what Las Vegas was built on and all kinds of things like our social media these days, our news these days, which loves to lie to us. So the bottom line is uh, intermittent stimulation is how an ADHD person learns. That means I give you a big piece of cheese when you pull the lever. I give you a half a piece of cheese the next time you pull the lever. I give you no cheese when you pull the lever. Now you're going to pull the lever, 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 pull the lever. Mom, please, dad, please. I know you're going to do the please. I'm just going to stand here until you do this until they get their next big chunk of cheese. So what you have to do is you have to give them an idea. You will get a piece of cheese later on. If you go away, give me your iPad, give me your video game for the next two hours and get your homework done. And then you will get another piece of cheese. So that's how you work with an ADHD kid. If you try to psychology, get in their brain, what's wrong with you? Why did you do that? They're never going to be able to answer why they did anything because they're impulsive. They're going to lie to you. They'll make it up because you command an answer. It's more about, if you wanna teach them how to think, you go, well, what? what made you wanna do that? Or how did you arrive at the decision that it was gonna be okay to stand here for a half hour to try to get me to do this? What do you think you're accomplishing with this? 
help them understand what they're doing and why they're doing it from the the what and the how, not the why. Because you ask a why, that's a motive-based question. That means uh, you already have the answer and you're just asking to set me up to look stupid. And so as a child, I learned to lie to you because you asked me why questions. So, because I'm going to give you, why is a motive-based question? That means I'm a bad person already. Now I got to figure out how to be a good person. And so I'm going to lie to you with a good answer. The next thing is what's called the conduct disorder, and that's the antisocial personality. And that's with kids under 18 years old. And it's really a pattern of antisocial behaviors that violate basic rights of other people and inappropriate social norms. So bullies, bullies are conduct disorders. So how do you deal with a bully? Very simple. A bully is like a dog. If you're going to give it a squeaky toy, it's probably going to squeak until the toy comes out of the toy. Out of the toy. So all victims of bullies are squeaky toys. Whether it's verbal or nonverbal, they know they're getting to you. They're getting power from that because they need to feel power. Look, look, people, look how incredible dog I am. I can, I can chew this thing to death. I am so powerful. Look at how powerful I am. Can't you see how powerful I am? That's what they're trying to do is demonstrate their power to you. That's what bullies do when they pick on little uh, kids who love to respond to them. Now, if you take the squeaky out of the toy for a dog, guess what happens? The toy sits in the corner because it doesn't make them powerful anymore. Chew sticks are wonderful for dogs because they go away after time of them eating them to get rewarded by gnawing it down to the, to the, to the nubbin. Well, once again, that's what a bully looks for, is the chewy stick that responds to their chewing. So the bottom line is, if you stop responding, they're going to go to the next target. You're never going to stop them from being a bully. But if you don't give them any feedback, they get bored and they look stupid because they're no, you're not responding to them. And everybody's going, really? Do you have to? What kind of? You, you look kind of creepy. But if you're going, no, I'm not, I'm not, the, now you're the center of attention and they get to be the center of power. That's what they want. No response, that's how you deal with the bully. Next thing is autism. It's a spectrum disorder and it's neurodevelopment disorder and it's severe impairment in your social interactions and your communication skills. These guys have very low EQ, emotional quotient. They don't understand how to interpret people's emotions, their context of what they're saying, the inferences in their words, their nonverbals. They don't get any of that emotional stuff. What they get is content. Oh, you want me to shut the door. Oh, I'm supposed to brush my teeth. Oh, you you want me to do this thing. Oh, I'm supposed to get an A in this class. Oh, I'm supposed to say hi to this person. That's an autistic person because they don't get context. And we as people think they're supposed to understand context. Well, they don't get it because they're autistic and that's their genes and that's what they're made of. So they are high functioning content people and they are low functioning, emotionally quotient people. Can't you get that? Do you have to try to mold them into somebody they're not? Or can you just understand they don't have that context? They have content. You manage them through behavior modification. You get this, you're rewarded with this, and they're satisfied with that. They like to be successful, and they do understand that people have emotions, and they can be very sweet people, but they still don't know how to read a room. 
And so expecting them to do that as a person is going to create a very low self-esteem and a very oppositional defiant young child trying to mold them into a regular person. So if you don't get this diagnosis early, you will never come to grips with it and you will hate your children and they will hate you. Also, intellectual disability, and that's another disorder, and it's very general, and it is a spectrum, but it's in your thought functioning, cognitive, and deficits in a whole lot of adaptive behaviors, like spelling, like writing, like reading, like math. Those areas can be a very, like speech, any of those areas can be very, very difficult for them, and I'm missing a whole lot of other things that I'm not listing. But the risk factor for childhood and mental development disorders is in a lifelong and age-specific risk factors. The health of children is highly dependent on the health and well-being of their caregivers. So let's listen to this. If we want to think about a child that's depressed, what are the indicators? Number one, it's going to be procrastination. Number two is going to be self-deprecation. I'm this, I'm terrible, I'm the worst, I'm the dumbest. And the other part of it is going to be irritability. They're always irritable. Everything is about irritability, which ADHD people are also very irritable because they want to meet their impulse and you're, you're getting in the way. I'm chasing the deer and you want me to brush my teeth. What is your problem? That's an ADHD person. I'm on the hunt. What is your, you want me to freaking take the garbage out when I'm about ready to shoot a moose? Really? You see, that's how they think. But we as normal people, we as gatherers, we just expect them to go, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to take the garbage out. Oh, I'll do that. So maybe they'll tolerate you and do it. But the bottom line is they're going to be irritable. That's why depression comes with ADHD. That's why anxiety comes with ADHD, because they always have a blind spot, because their impulses call for them to sacrifice their sensory perceptions in a whole lot of different circumstances, like listening. And all of a sudden, you thought they were listening because they're going, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, oh, I hear you, yep, yep, yep. You get all that, and then the next thing you know, they missed out on everything you said because in their mind, they were hunting another idea that had nothing to do with you. And they can't help it unless you stimulate their brain, things like caffeine or, or, or low, you know, not in high doses. But if you give them some type of stimulant, what will happen is their brain calms down and stops seeking so they can actually be a gatherer for maybe an hour, half hour, maybe a couple hours if it's medication. So the deal is, you know, when children live at home or school, as they transition into adolescence, which is their teenage years and influence of their peers, this becomes very important. They want to have approval. So kids that are depressed, kids that are anxious, have a high susceptibility to what is successful in other kids. So if they see other kids being successful in sports, they see other kids being successful in the kind of music they like, in the kind of things they wear, and that whatever their pronoun is. If they find these things to be successful and majority accepted, these low self-esteem, anxiety, and depression-based kids are going to be highly impressionable to what other people are doing because they're trying to find a safe place to anchor their personality. Unfortunately, ADHD kids, for instance, and depressed kids are very inconsistent and hard to trust because they do what they feel, not what they think. So they're not dependable. They're not people that you can actually trust that's going to show up on time because they didn't feel like it that day. I don't feel like going to school. So depressed people, 
And anxious people do what they feel, not what they think. Now, a healthy person, especially if you're making money and support a household and have to be a responsible adult, you're going to have to step in and do what's right. That means I'm going to go to work and then I'll check in with how I feel. That's an adult. Unfortunately, they learn this slowly. And we as adults have to teach children that are depressed and have feelings and are emotional and are ADHD We have to teach them what's called consequential thinking, which is behavior modification, very transactional. That means you get this. If you do this, you don't get this. If you don't do this, it's very, very simple. You leave it to that and it's their choice. It's not you taking it away. It's them deciding they don't want it. And you have to transactionalize your discipline to get them through anxiety and ADHD behaviors. This is a very important ingredient to parenting. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of the trends of mental disorders. And we're going to talk about some of the stats and then how to deal with this stuff. So come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Dr. Connie Mariano is a groundbreaker. She was the White House physician to three presidents, toured the world on Air Force One, and has had countless amazing experiences. The one thing that life didn't prepare her for was becoming a widow. After losing her beloved husband, John, in a tragic accident, Dr. Connie joined the one million women who were widowed in the United States each year. While her journey as a widow has been one of intense grief and sorrow, it has also been one of extraordinary growth and rebirth. Now, Dr. Connie is sharing what she's learned, joined by her knowledgeable guests to help anyone struggling with this deeply personal and often lonely journey of their own. Tune into The Widow's Walk, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right. So we're talking about childhood mental disorders, tiny troublemakers, spotting this illness, these mental illnesses. is very important for parents to understand. You know, if you lived in a third world country and were not safe, you would have to fend for yourself. That means we have to learn how to have conviction, how to have will, do what's right, 
do what it takes for all of us to survive. And we'd have to teach our children that, and that would be the priority. And our education would be stilted around how to survive, how to function, how to live as a society, how to live as a family, how to love, how to care. Uh, these are very how to hunt, how to how to how to how to get the water, how to do your duties and your chores, how to appreciate the things that you get that are luxuries. But we that feel safe, we that feel safe, parenting is a real challenge because we do not live in a day and age where our children uh, are not safe. We live in a day and age where they are safe. So they're, they can afford to be depressed. They can afford to be anxious. They can afford to have conduct disorder. They can afford to do all kinds of things because they're bored. And we as parents are not stepping in and teaching values because we are lazy asses and more worried about our boss at work than we are about our home life. And so unfortunately, raising your kids is not a priority uh, making income and making yourself look good in society is much more important in this world, especially in social media. So we're going to do this thing. We're going to breed and have these kids. All right. Are you going to step in and be a parent? Because only about 50% of the people that breed are parents. The rest are breeding stock. And the other 50% are just a spectrum of degree of parenting. So this is what we're working with. And this is going to be the result in the world that we live in as far as what the next generation is going to look like. But the deal is, is we have to understand that our children have to learn conviction. So what is conviction? Conviction is will. That means the will to do what's right. And that means they have to learn that for themselves. And But we as parents have to teach that through accordingly adjusting behaviors, not random uh, forms of discipline like emotional parents do. Oh, I'm mad at you. So, oh, you did this or you embarrassed me today. So I'm going to take this away for a whole week or I'm going to take this away for a month. Oh, now you're talking back to me. I'm going to take it for a whole year. Okay, these kind of crazy ass parents do not do a very good job because they're so random. It has to do with setting a contract for your children so they understand what's healthy. Why? Because almost all childhood diagnoses outside of schizophrenia, bipolar, are have a genetic component, but they're primarily thought disorders. So you as parents can step in the way. That's why getting in the way of childhood mental illness and recognizing it early is a very important thing for you to do. Now, what is going to create a more healthy child? Giving positives when they do positives is going to give you a much better self-esteem child, not negatives every single time they do something that you deem as bad. Oh, you insulted grandma, so I'm going to take your phone away for a month. Oh, wow. That's really just great. That's not going to do it, guys. We got to get down to understanding, hey, you did a really good job at your homework today. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for washing the dishes. Well, I do it all the time. I know, but I really appreciate it. You know, gratitude goes a long way. And if you teach your kids gratitude, you're going to teach them to be grateful, which is a wonderful thing for a child to have as part of their personality because it's magnetic. It may even buy them a job of their lifetime that they always wanted. It may help them get the passions and the purpose in their life that they really need that involve other people by their gratefulness. Because as collective wisdom, we do much better than what we are teaching our children, which is wisdom on our own. That's not always the best way to go. We are not well suited for just knowing what we know. We need to gather Socratically from other people 
what they know so that we make better decisions. And they need to learn that in a family, we make collective decisions, what's right for all of us, so that we take everybody's opinion into account and we understand what is needed. Oh, you know, mom and dad can do this, but they can't do that today. If they can learn that, they learn how to adapt to people. These are mental things that are very important to combating mental disorder because if you don't feel like it today, you still need to have the will to get your butt up and go to school and do your homework. You still have to go do your job. You still have to make money. If you have no will, you're going to be living at home with mommy and daddy who failed to teach you how to do that. So we as people have to take accountability. The two signs you want to look for in a child is number one, conviction. Number two is affection. And number three is curiosity. That tells you have a kid that's probably going to survive in this world. They have affection, they have conviction, and they have curiosity. Very good things to teach your children. Conviction, especially to do what is right. You know, these kind of things are very important to look for in children. But looking for understanding uh, that these kids are struggling. And a lot of kids are talking about suicide because other kids are talking about suicide. But what is suicide? So if you're going to have a drug-taking or an alcoholic parent, guess what? They're already suicidal. That's called a suicidal life. If you've got people in your life on drugs and alcohol, they are wanting to die. They just don't have the courage to figure out when they're going to die. So they rather just their heart give out. Oh, they died because they were alcoholic. And that will be their legacy. My dad was an alcoholic. That will be what's left of your life. Doesn't matter all the great things you did in your life. It's the fact that you're an alcoholic. And that's what you'll die with. It's called integrity. If you don't manage it, you're going to sit in the nursing home by yourself when you're old with nobody showing up and nurse ratchet wiping your ass. So we as people have to get back and understand, hey, what are these things in our kids so that we can grab them early? Major depressive disorder, irritability, putting things off, procrastination, isolation. These are things we look for. Now, do kids isolate these days? Yes, because they socialize behind video games and they hook up with all their friends online and they have fun playing a video game together, but then they get twice as fat as what we used to be when we were younger at our age and, and when we were kids. And so the problem is you're going to have to get balance. And that is a balance between conviction and connection. That means they have to also have connection as human beings with other people in this world, not online, but actually reading people's their, their body language, reading people's nonverbals, understanding their tone, understanding what kind of day, and actually having compassion for other people. Learning to suffer for other people is true love. And if we don't learn that, we don't learn how to be human. Now, a video game is not going to teach you to have that much conviction because you're killing everybody usually in a video game or you're killing somebody and there ain't no convict, no, no connection in that. There's just kill people. So if that's what we're teaching and we're really not teaching relationships, relationships is about suffering for another, choosing to suffer for another. Life is suffering. And if you want to have meaning in life, it's having a reason to suffer. And that means another person. 
There's also persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. These are indicators that a a child is going through mental problems, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, you know, uh, uh, attempts in suicide. So there's also there's what's called suicide intent and suicide plan. When they have intent and plan, now we're in the real danger zone. So intent would be you know, I've been thinking about suicide. I've been, I think I'm just going to kill myself. I've been thinking about killing myself for a long time. You know, I'm really, I'm, I'm just, my friend killed himself and now I'm going down the path of what killing myself looks like because my friend did it. And man, I'm starting to buy that for myself. And then they have a plan. Well, I'm going to hang myself. Well, I'm going to take drugs. I'm going to overdose. I'm going to cut myself. Whatever that is, if they start talking down that path, that's when we want to have a three-day hold in the hospital. You're not going to stop them from that. If you think you're in control of everything, you're not. They need to go get help. That is what we do with people with suicide is we get help. You are going to be responsible for them killing themselves if they have intent and a plan and you think you can control it. Not a good idea. Not a good idea at all. No matter what their their profession is, no matter what their state in life is, you need to get in the way. Okay? Suicide is pain management. That means they feel that their life is like a broken back and nobody can fix it. And so the only way to get out of pain is to end it. Okay, and that's what they're the kind of pain they're in. You're not going to solve that. If you do want to solve it, and if you do want to intervene with the suicidal child, start talking about the people that love them, how it's going to impact the other people in their life. Don't talk to them about how valuable their life is. Talk to them about the impact of their life on others and how it's going to affect, and then have empathy for their pain and their suffering and their love. And you might want to do that first, have the empathy first, but you need to reflect on the impact of their suicide and the fact that people that have suicide in their family generationally are going to have suicide because it just keeps going because all these people have to figure out why did they kill themselves and then they resign themselves to learn how to accept it because they had to accept it to accept the death of somebody that kills themselves. So as we go through this, you know, depression is pervasive. Nearly eight in 10 children with depression get treatment, which is a great thing. Uh, Six in 10 children with anxiety get treatment. More than five in 10 children with behavior disorders receive treatment. So it's good that we can get treatment. Is drugs going to solve it all? No, these are thought disorders. So if the drugs invite the opportunity for them to be calm enough to think differently, now we have the opportunity. But if you don't get the therapy with it, you're not going to change the behaviors because they just feel better for a few days, but their thoughts are going back to the same thoughts. That's why the therapy is very important to add into once a kid is going on medication, if that's what the deal is. Or if it's going to be a, 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 a supplement, that's fine. Uh, there's things like SAM-E, which is kind of a shotgun effect. It doesn't have neuroblockers like medicine does. But it goes scatters throughout the brain, but it's basically baker's yeast, by the way. But that supplement does have a lot of dopamine and serotonin in it, which can be good for some kids that have mild depression, mild anxiety. So how do we resolve anxiety? Well, here's a simple way to, to express it with the child. Okay, I have fears. Here's my fears. 
All right, now on the other side of the paper, I'm going to draw a line in the middle. Now here is I have faith that. Now resolve the problem with I have faith that. Now I'm not talking about God or religion or any of that crap. What I'm talking about, and that's not crap, by the way, but what I'm really talking about is the land on faith. Because life is faith. That's what God teaches us is faith. Have faith in God. That is the most important thing. If we learn how to have faith in God, we learn how to faith in life. So I have faith that my friend is going to want to spend time with me. I have friend, I have faith that if I study, I'm going to get a better grade. I have faith that if I'm nice to somebody, they might be nice to me. Now we're going down a path instead of going to what the anxiety tells us, which is a funnel down to a very narrow answer. Then I'm going to go to the broad opening where I have lots of options as the answer down the faith pass. If you can get a child to, to answer to their fear with faith and land on faith, they have a better shot at understanding how to live their life because all of life is a leap of faith. You get a job, get married, go to school, get up in the morning, go to go make a new friend, all of this stuff. Go, go to the grocery store. You don't know what you're going to run into. All of that is a leap of faith. And if we don't take leaps of faith, we don't meet life where it is. All right, we're going to take another break and we're going to come right back. And we're going to talk about signs. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Being a human is hard because perfection can sometimes feel like the standard for success. Shifting that narrative and examining the course of your life means knowing you're not alone. Your struggles don't define you, and addressing them once and for all doesn't have to be scary. On Get Unstuck, move forward with your life and the Nobody's Perfect community. Jason focuses on relationship building, authenticity, and holding honest conversations that place us one step closer to creating more hopeful, resilient lives using the power of human connection. Get Unstuck, move forward with your life and the Nobody's Perfect community with Jason Hopkins. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. 
All right, we're talking about the signs of mental illness in children and some of the emotional and behavioral signs is they don't seem to enjoy things the way they used to. They repeat tantrums and they're consistently behaves in defiant and aggressive ways. They seem sad and unhappy. They cry a lot. They're afraid or they're worried a lot. They get very upset about being separated from you. They avoid social situations or they start behaving in ways that they've outgrown, like sucking their thumb, wetting their bed, the temper tantrums, the avoiding their homework, lying, making all kinds of excuses, blaming everybody else, trouble paying attention. These are really, you know, they can't sit still, they're restless. These are signs that something is going on in their life that they don't like. And it could be that it's change. And change is hard on many kids. You know, if you move them from one school to the next, one classroom to the next, change their group of friends. We don't know what's always going on in their life, but we need to be plugged in with them to understand how to bridge change and how to help change for them. Other physical signs, if they're not sleeping well or they oversleep, that tells you there's probably anxiety or depression in there. Difficult and get out of bed. They may go to bed on time, but they're probably laying there worried about a thousand things and they may not be getting good sleep. They have trouble eating or if they're overeating, that tells you that there's a problem. They've gained a lot of weight or lost a lot of weight. That tells you there's a big, big deal going on, likely depression or anxiety. Physical pain that doesn't have clear medical cause, like headaches, stomach aches, because our stomach is a nerve center and it holds a lot of our blood. And so if we're going to be anxious, we're going to cause our stomach, all our soft organs are going to have problems, like your brain. Brain's a soft organ. Like your heart. It, your heart might beat very very much faster. Or your stomach, which is, or your lungs, like your breathing. All of these things that are soft organs are going to have a lot of trouble if you're going to be anxious and afraid or fear or have depression. That's called a somatic pain. So you go to the doctor a thousand times, they're going to tell you you need to see a therapist because they can't figure it out. That's because it's somatic pain caused by anxiety or depression. You know, if they're not doing well and they used to do well at school, that's another indicator. If they're having problems fitting in at school or getting along with other children, which you need to stay plugged in with. You know, if they don't want to go to school, that is a huge indicator that something big is going on isn't doing what their teacher asks, has withdrawal from their friends, doesn't want to go to social events like birthday parties or activities like sports. If they have a problem with that, that means they're coping with something in their life, likely in their social life and likely in their self-esteem. You want to get down to the bottom of that as a parent. And if you can't, go to a professional who can help you get in touch with those things. So, you know, persistent sadness and mood changes, changes in behavior, changes in personality, concentration. If that's bad, eating, bad, sleep, bad. These are indicators. You need to read those red flags. Academic performance, you know, anxiety or worry where they're clingy to you. That tells you they're having trouble trusting the world. They don't feel safe in the world. And what happens when we don't feel safe? Everything becomes fight or flight. And so our irritability is very high because we're looking for trouble all the time. If a kid's being bullied, they're going to have a really hard time in school focusing because they're always in fight or flight. Who's going to be able to read a book and run from the woolly mammoth at the same time? Not going to happen. You know, so what is mental illness? It's anxiety disorders. It's ADHD. It's autism. It's eating disorders. It's depression. 
post-traumatic stress disorder, meaning that we subject them to involuntarily trauma in their life, like arguing in front of your children, two spouses knowingly and openly yelling at each other like two-year-olds, threatening divorce like two-year-olds, and predicting the outcome of what the child is going to have to deal with because these crazy-ass parents can't get their shit together. And now they have to witness it, and guess what they're going to do in their life? They're going to go yell divorce at their parent's spouse because of you. But, you know, people are so ignorant and so selfish that they're going to do all their Broadway production in front of their children as the audience. People love to do that. They'd love to say, oh, I don't mean to do that. I don't ever want to do that. But they do it all day long, every day, and they will stay with a partner. They will actually not set the boundary and put up with somebody who does this all day, every day, and they think their kid's not going to pick up on it. You know, we have to understand there's huge warning signs like hurting yourself, like cutting. That's a big thing in a kid. If kids cutting, if they're cutting down a vein, that means they're trying to die. If they're cutting like uh, diagonally, what they're trying to do is just get attention and feel pain so they don't have to have their mental pain. They could focus on their physical pain. So, you know, what our brain does is it creates pain to avoid mental pain. And so that could, that's when people start enjoying things like tattoos and crap like that. So if you got somebody whose body is entirely tattooed, there's a good chance depression and anxiety there because they need to have a physical pain to avoid their mental pain. It's actually addictive to them to get tattoos so they can avoid their mental pain, just like suicide. You know, also, you know, it's very important to talk with other parents and to get into a forum where you're not the only person dealing with the problem. When you have that, what you have is people that can help you. You also need to think about having a mental health or a doctor assist you with medication if that's possible. You know, a stimulant is a very mild medication to help some a child, for instance, with ADHD because it only lasts a couple of hours, but what it does is it gives them a chance to be a part of the gatherer group for just a little while. But what it does is it gives them a chance to be a good student, which they're fully capable of being, but they lack the sensory perception to be able to continue to hold their concentration. If they take medication, they're stimulated, so they're not seeking. So that's what we wanna think about with these poor kids. You can help your children build healthy skills, by understanding there's other kids with the same problems and how do they deal with those problems. You can engage in skills with your child. You talk to them through doing the things like activities, like deep breathing, stress balls, or making art, having, a, having something that they love to do. Video games is fine, but they have to do all of these activities that actually give them an escape in doses, not in all day long, because it's the new babysitter. That's a lazy parent and lazy parents have lazy children. You also wanna watch for these, these behavior changes. You wanna have the kind of relationship with your child that you're able to, hey, hey, what's been going on with you? How are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you adjusting? Are you making friends? That's why it's so nice to have parents that have children at the dinner table with them where they're actually able to take the temperature of their kids. Now, if you're a turd and a parent and you're an angry parent or you're two people that are always arguing, you probably don't want them at the dinner table watching you glare at each other, act snarky or sarcastic. Not a good idea for your kids if they're gonna witness you guys being childish and turdly. But if you're gonna actually care about your kids and focus on your children at dinner, that's a whole different ball game or even focus 
God forbid, on the better parts of each other and being grateful for each other and learning how to appreciate the fact that we're different. And I'm not going to convert you into who I am and love you because I love what I like to do. Because if you're a parent and you want to teach your kid to do what they what you like to do, I like to go golfing, so I'm going to make my kids go golfing because that makes me happy. Well, if you're going to teach them to do what you like to feel loved, you're forgetting that they're their own individuals. You're trying to make them to love themselves the way you love yourself. That's called a narcissist. And a lot of people are that way. They're going to make you do things that they love to do thinking that you're loving it too when you're not. So we have to learn about our kids and what their love languages are. Maybe it's time together. Maybe it's actually having a conversation. Maybe it's a hug. You know, maybe it's sitting down watching television. Maybe it's giving them a gift. You know, maybe it's giving them words of positivity, God forbid. You know, these are things that we have to learn about our children, not just each other. But if we want to build the relationship, you have to learn your kids' love language and not shove yours down their throat. What great narcissists do. They love to marry a codependent so they can shove their own language down that person's throat to the point that they think that that's their love language because they're codependent. And that's every good narcissist loves to do that. It's called grooming, by the way. You know, it's important. By the way, narcissists as parents love to go, that's not what I said. Oh, that's not what I meant. They love to be right. And if you have to be right as a parent, you're shutting your kids out. But there's so many turdly people that don't even know how to listen that what they do is they go, oh, that's not correct. Or you forgot about it, or you're so wrong. It's called perceived truth. And we're all supposed to acknowledge other people's truth, even if we don't agree with it. Unfortunately, narcissistic parents love to be right, and they have to correct you on every little thing that you say or do wrong. And as spouses, they're absolute crazy makers and gaslighters because they have to be right about everything instead of go, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way. Oh, I can understand how you can see it like that. Uh, yeah. Tell me more about what you, how you see this. Oh, you think I'm this? I get it. I can see how you think I'm this. I can understand. Now, that would be called maturity. But unfortunately, narcissistic parents have, nar have had narcissistic parents. So they learn how to deflect. That's not what I meant. That's not what I said. I'm not meaning that. I can't believe you interpret it this way. This is the way you're supposed to see it. You're not supposed to feel that way. How could you feel that way? You're supposed to feel like this. They love to tell everybody what to do because that's what our society is teaching us, is to tell us what to do. Our wonderful, woke community loves to tell us what kind of person we're supposed to be. And if you're not, there's hell to pay on social media, even though they're probably maybe 10% of our population, but they fill out our social media and actually run the Googles of the world and the TikToks and all that other crap. They're filled with all that. And they love to tell us how to live our life. Unfortunately, our children are learning to be that. And our politicians are buying that crap too. They think they're gods. So our kids are, are learning to be wonderful narcissists. The thing is, it's not going to give them a joyful life. A joyful life teaches kids values like everybody's more good than they are bad. Everybody's more right than they are wrong. So you're going to have to learn how to be a good listener. And you have to have to learn that your intellect is based on your questions and your curiosity and listening once you get the answer and actually accepting an answer that may be different than yours. And don't give your opinion unless you're asked, which is a great thing. So 
you know, we want to involve our kids in decision making if we want to avoid thought disorders that take over their childhood, like depression and anxiety and OCD. We need to get in the way of those things. So rituals, if a child is an OCD child, oppositional, you know, not oppositional, they're obsessive compulsive disorder. If you're going to deal with an obsessive compulsive disorder, what you want to teach them is how to take their obsessive talent and channel it into doing good things like chores and homework. Can you obsess on the things that will help your life? If you can teach them to do the things that obsess on helping their life and reward them for doing that, you're going to teach an OCD kid how to channel what they naturally have that can actually be a, a, a you know a superpower. ADHD can be a superpower if you learn how to channel their will into something that they can be highly successful at. So if I can give a kid, be them on the swim team or something, and they're a great swimmer, maybe they're state champion, and they do well in school, they do uh, have thoughts about what they want to do with their life, but they really succeed in this one area, that's what you need for an ADHD kid where they have areas of high success, not telling them how stupid they are because they're impulsive and they can't help it. Sensory perception, five times greater. How? What if you had that? Wouldn't that be crazy? And guess who they probably got the ADHD from? You, but you're trying to treat them like you thought you were supposed to be, even though they're just like you were as a kid and you have low self-esteem. So you want to make sure they have the same low self-esteem that you have because you had it when you were younger. We are so destructive as people, we don't even get it. You want to recall fun times. You want to talk, you know, about acts of kindness and you want to reward for that. You want to talk about empathy, caring for other people's suffering. You want to touch base with them and be empathetic to them so they understand as a role model that is what it's supposed to be as a person. If two spouses choose to suffer for each other and care about each other's suffering and care about their children's suffering, you're teaching your child how to have relationships and how to navigate life. But empathy has to be there and you have to role model it. If you're narcissistic and you can't stand it when somebody feels something different than what you do, you're going to gaslight them until they are convinced that they feel like you do. All right, that's about as far as I go. That's our show. Thank you for listening. I love hearing from you. You can do that on our webpage at voiceamerica.com, the empowerment and health and wellness channels, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember, everyone knows how to raise children except the people who have them. Also, best parents posting a check out the time inside your, your, your children's door is probably the best practice. Your checkout time is 18 years old. Put that on the back of their door. Guess what might happen? You're setting an expectation that they get out in their life and do their own life. Also, play gives children a chance to practice what they're learning. That is huge. And guess who said that? Mr. Rogers. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 